All right. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? I think it was Francis Schaeffer who said, the way Christians love each other is the greatest apologetic to an unbelieving world. I don't know if you recognize that word apologetic. It means the way to defend our faith. And I'm glad that you love each other, and I always feel a little guilty for saying, stop hugging, that's enough, sit down, you know. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open it with me to Acts chapter 6, 7, right as the transition takes place between the two. I don't know if you ever read a Bible story and then say, so how did that happen? Why did that happen? And how can anyone respond that way? That's exactly what I feel when I read the story of Stephen. Stephen is a guy that stands there at the hinge between the movement that started in Jerusalem and the movement that then moved through Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Stephen, ordinary guy it seems, layman, a guy that was chosen to serve the tables. His story inspires us. His story instructs us. His story helps us see how Jesus is the scarlet thread that runs through all of the Bible. But his story also calls us to ask the question, am I willing to live a totally abandoned life in my serving and following the Lord Jesus? I don't know how well you know, Stephen, but today you will be encouraged to know that I'm not going to read all the verses uh, because it starts in chapter 6, it goes through chapter 7. I counted 69 verses, all right? In, in your little journal, if you have that, it goes from page 36 to page 46, all right? So it covers a lot of ground. So rather than do that, we're going to look at Stephen and remember that the Bible says that it's, it's like a mirror. When we look into the Bible we see something about God, but we see something about us. And worship always is very simply seeing God for who he is and seeing me for who I am in light of who God is and then learning how to respond to him. So this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look into the word of God like a mirror to see who God is and who I am in light of who he is. Stephen, such an incredible guy that opened up his heart before the Lord and challenges our heart before the Lord. So let's begin in chapter 6 and look at what we see about this guy named Stephen. We first meet him when they had the problem of the widows feeling neglected. You remember that if you were here last week? Johnny preached about how the first problem in the church there were some that were Hellenistic and some that were the Jewish background. And so the, the widows were being served. And one of the crowds felt like that they weren't getting their part. And so as they cried out, so we're getting left out. It was really the first challenge for the church to deal with ethnic issues and equality issues. 
and to see were, were they willing to respond to what might be going on in the people. You see, one of the greatest threats to the church is not necessarily the devil from without, but division from within. And if the people of God cannot learn how to work through things together, then they become tools in the hands of the evil one to tear down the work of God. And I know that you don't need me to preach it again. I know Johnny did very well. We've talked about his sermon. I haven't had a chance to listen to it online, but you can if you missed it. And he talked about how they dealt with this issue of division, and they came to a way to approach it. But here's what I want you to notice in chapter 6. It says they, the group was gathered, and they were pleased at what they were about to do. And it says in verse 5 that... When they said this, the whole gathering, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And then it named the rest of them. That's the first time we meet Stephen. He was chosen to wait on tables. Now, that doesn't sound like too great an honor to wait the tables. And if we're going to learn from Stephen and how God used him, we're going to have to first learn what it means to have a servant spirit. This morning, I'm going to give you five things, and, and the reason I'm telling you is so you'll know when I'm through, all right? So here's the first one, all right? He had a servant spirit, chosen to wait on the tables. You know, I, I've had to do some things in ministry that I didn't want to do, but I've had to learn how that it's not about my position and it's not about people giving me any kind of credit, but it's me learning that there may be needs and there may be times we have to step up and meet those needs. We've talked about this being like a church plant again. And, and KK and I remember when we planted that church in Northern Virginia 150 years ago. I mean, it was a long time ago. That we would go up there. I'd go up on Saturday night and I'd look to see if the volunteers came to clean the church. And I would look to see if the volunteers came to mow the lawn. And it was not that unusual for me to have to call her on Saturday night and say, get the kids, and you guys are going to have to come clean the church while I turn on the outside lights and try to mow the lawn, okay? So I know that there are times we have to do things we don't want to do, but we have to do it because we're trying to be a part of a movement called Christ followers. I would challenge you this morning. I pray that as your pastor, I pray that you will learn your spiritual gift. I pray that you will hear us talk about this thing called shape, where you know your spiritual gift, your heart, your ability, your personality, and your experience. And you watch all those things come together so that you can delightfully serve in the way God made you. But can I say that there are times you serve in things you don't want to do, but you do it because there's a need, and at least transitionally, you're willing to step up and meet that need. Stevens was not trying to claim that it was all about him. He was not trying to get praise. He just said, okay, guys, if serving these tables, what we need to do, then I need you to step up here and do it. And Stephen said, hey, I'll do it if that's what you need. Now, today when the service is over, Matthew told me, he said, one of the things I want you to do before they leave is not only pray for Vacation Bible School, but ask some people to stay behind to help us take up the chairs and get this room ready. So you're going to get a chance. Application on point number one. Stay after church, all right? Stack the chairs. <laughs> we'll explain all that later, all right? But a servant spirit, that's, that's what we see in his life. And, and I pray that we will remember that Jesus said that he had not come to be served but to serve. 
That Jesus, the one who took the towel and got on his knees and washed the disciples' feet. The one who said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you've got to learn to be the servant of all. So we have to see the posturing of Stephen was not posturing himself to be a well-known martyr. He started off to be known as a simple servant of the Lord Jesus. Would you ever be accused of that? Would anyone ever say about you, got a servant spirit? The president of the Southern Baptist Convention is a guy named J.D. Greer. I've known J.D. since he was a college boy. (laughs) And it is fun to watch God using him. They have multiple campuses. And one of the things that they do before they will ever have a campus pastor, they have to serve on the setup team. They have to go in and be a part of getting the church house, the church place ready to go. And they have to learn through months of serving on the setup team before they'll ever be considered as a campus pastor. Would you ever be accused of having a servant spirit because you didn't walk around acting like, who was it, Kennedy? Ask not what your country can do for you. Some of you are old enough to remember, but ask what you could do for your country. Ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do with the people of God to serve the Lord Jesus. That was Stephen's spirit. But one of the things I noticed, three different times the Bible says that Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to use this, if you're with me in this little booklet, it's in page 34, okay? It says, they were pleased the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He was a guy that used the indwelling Spirit to move him into action. This morning, if you are a child of God, the Spirit of God lives in you. I hope that you know that when you put your trust in Christ, you were found in Christ alone, your identity, we sang about that, but you found yourself being indwelled by his spirit so he could change you from the inside out. The scripture says if you don't have the spirit of God, then you're none of his. So I can't this morning convince you of what only God can convince you of. That you came to the place you knew you were a sinner. You came to the place you said, I believe Jesus is the Savior. You came to the place you said, God, I can't save myself. I put my trust in Jesus. And you may or may not have felt anything. But since that time, you've known something. You've known that God was in you and God is with you. And how do you know? Because he convinces you of things that you need to do that are right that you'd never do or things that you've done wrong that you don't know how to face. Often people come and say, Pastor, I seem to be sinning more since I became a follower of Christ. And I go, no, you just know it now, all right? Before you didn't see it, but now you see it. Because with Jesus living in your heart, you start having that sense of, I shouldn't treat the person that way. I shouldn't say that. You sense you're grieving him. You sense that you are somehow not following him. Stephen was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. But watch what happens. As he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he begins to speak the word with power. A little bit later in the chapter, 
You see in verse 8, chapter 6 introduces Stephen and the long sermon he preaches in verse 9. I mean in chapter 7. But in verse 8 it says he was full of grace and power doing great wonders. And then in verse 10 it says they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. There were some guys that came and they started arguing with Stephen. And Stephen said, well, but Jesus said this. Well, but in the Old Testament we read this. And as he started defending his faith, people that were the expert debaters walked away going, man, we can't win the argument with that guy. He, he just seems to know what he's talking about. But it wasn't just his wisdom that did it. The scripture says that the spirit, and I'm still learning to like the ESV, okay, because it was not my... Bible translation growing up as a Bible of choice. But if you look at verse 10 in, in the ESV, it says they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit, capital S. It wasn't just that he had a servant spirit. It wasn't just that he had a wise spirit. But the Holy Spirit was bearing witness to what he was saying. And you know that's the great freedom in preaching is that I don't have to know everything about you. I don't have to know what problems you brought in here today. I mean, I want to. I want to be your friend. I want to know those things, but I don't have to know those things. But if I can get you to look with me into the Word of God, the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and speak to the people of God in their hearts. And we read that Stephen was a man filled with the Spirit. Now, do you know the indwelling spirit in your life? Could you ever be accused of being filled with the spirit? What does that mean? Well, in the book of Ephesians, we're told, we're commanded, not just told, we're commanded to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the spirit. And the contrast that's there, the reason it chooses being drunk with my wine is because you're under the influence of something else. We're not supposed to be on the influence of anything except the indwelling spirit in our life. And what does it mean to be filled? If I brought up here a glass this morning and you could tell that the liquid was only halfway through, I would say, this glass is filled. You'd say, well, technically it's not full, right? To be filled with the Spirit means that as far as you know, everything about your life has been laid down at the feet of Jesus and you're not clinging to anything, you're not holding on to anything, you're not defending anything, you're just declaring to him, Lord, would you fill me up? Would you take all that I have and all that I am and just fill me up with a sense of your presence? Stephen was a man, not only with a servant spirit, he was a man that was filled with the Spirit of God. Could that ever be said about you? That you have a servant spirit? That you are a person longing for and living in being filled with the Spirit? Now that's the guy we're talking about as we come to what happened to him in chapter 7. The scripture says as chapter 6 is ending that they instigated men, verse 11, and they said about Stephen, we heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council and they set up false witnesses who would falsely testify about him and say, this man never ceases. I kind of like that. That means he's talking about it a lot, right? This man never ceases 
even though it was a false accusation, they knew he was full of it, okay, to speak the words about this holy place and the law. And we've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And when they made that accusation against him, verse 15, last verse of chapter 6, is kind of amazing. Gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. Really? They just drug him before the council. They just were accusing him of blasphemy. He knew that if, the, if they won the argument that his life was over. And yet he is sitting there, standing there, looking at them, and they see his face like an angel. You know, people look at your countenance. I look at your countenance when I'm preaching. You know, if, if you're not listening, would you fake it a little bit? All right, and then I'll, uh, I'll think that, that we're engaging here, okay? And, and I look to see if God is working, and there are times that I can just sense that God is using something to speak to you, and sometimes your face shows it. Your face shows peace. Your face shows your love. Your face will show your confidence in God. And there stands Stephen before the council, and they're accusing him of blasphemy. Now, I really wrestle with how to explain chapter 7 because it's long. As a matter of fact, what we're about to see is the high priest said in, in chapter 7, verse 1, are these things so? And then Stephen said, verse 2, and he preaches the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And you'll be glad to know, I'm not going to read every verse, are you? You can go home and read it, all right? But I want to tell you, in summary, what he said. It's pretty obvious that Stephen loved the story of God. Do you remember how we, in this past year, have walked through the story of God? And we've talked about creation. We've talked about how God worked in, in declaring that he would send a Savior. We, we talked about the coming of the law. We talked about the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then we talked about Moses and we talked about them being delivered. We talked about the law and the sacrificial system. And then we talked about Joshua leading them into the land. And then we talked about them wanting a king. And we talked about David being the king with a, a full heart after God. And how he wanted to build a temple, but God wouldn't let him. And so Solomon built the temple. And then there was 400 years of silence waiting after the prophets had declared to the people and the kingdom had divided there was a silent period and then the coming of Christ. The story of God. Of how God worked among his people. Now let me remind you that Stephen lived in an oral culture. And what do I mean by that? A lot of these people didn't read. Didn't know how to read. But it didn't keep them from knowing the story of God. I struggle with that as your pastor. Yeah, I struggle with reading, okay? Uh, but I, I struggle with what, how much reading should I expect out of you if you say I'm sold out to Jesus? Some of you would rather read than watch TV. Some of you 
feel like anytime you got to read something, that you got to go back to school. So if the pastor says, go home and read these four books, you go, yeah, right. Sure, I will. I mean, you read text, so you read bite-sized information. You read the little things that they put under them on the news, the lower third. You, you maybe read the USA Today because it's got pictures, okay? And so you, you don't read that much. At least a lot of the people in the family of God don't really read that much. So how can we shepherd people who need to know all of these things about the Bible? I'm in no way discouraging you from reading your Bible regularly. We've had a couple Sunday nights where we've talked about that, how to read your Bible. But here's what I am saying. Reading regularly or not, you can know and delight in the story of God. Stephen did. He went back and when they accused him of blasphemy, he answered all of their charges. If I had to give you a summary of what he did, from verses 2 through verse 36, he talked about the land, how God had promised to give them a land, how Abram had been called out to go into a place he didn't know where he was going, and how he came and God had made a promise he would give him the land. Then he talked about the law. In verses 37 through 43, he talked about what God had done in giving them the law. And then in verse 44 through 50, he talked about the temple and how God had allowed through David's heart, a desire to build the temple, but then he allowed Solomon to build it because remember they had accused him of speaking against Moses and speaking against the law and speaking against the temple. So he answers all of those things as he explains very vividly and accurately the story of God in the Old Testament because there was no New Testament. That's all the Bible they had. I want you to notice verse 48 because you'll hear me pray this most every Sunday and you may wonder where I get it from. I get it from here where like Stephen is recounting the story of God, he says, yet the most high does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet said, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or in what place of my rest did not my hand make all these things? God could never live in a building made with hands. He never wants us to somehow get so caught up in a church house that we fail to see the one who is building a royal priesthood of his own people to be a dwelling place for his worship to take place. Stephen so loved the story of God that he could take all of those things and show them as he stood before those most schooled in Scripture. But then I want you to see in his heart, he not only knew how God had worked in the past, he saw that Jesus was the thread that held it all together. He saw that the understanding of God is the gospel thread that pulls together everything that God had done pointing to the coming of Jesus. For instance, as he's talking to them about Moses, he says in verse 37, Moses said to the Israelites, God will raise up your prophet like me from your brothers. And he knew the application he was going to make when he got to that in a minute. 
how God had raised up a mighty one, just like Moses, to lead the people out of bondage and take them into deliverance. And so he comes to the end of his message, and he's applying it to Jesus. And I want you to see what he says in verse 51. Before we look, look up here me. Have you ever been to a church where the preacher preached like he was mad? You know, and it was like everything he said was what you've done wrong. And it's like he always used the pronoun you, never we. You know, I mean, he's just, he's just really giving them hellfire, damnation, Baptist kind of stuff, right? Well, look what Stephen did. In verse 51, he said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. That's what's known as applying the scripture, all right? What is stiff-necked? Well, one that will not bend their neck and bow down. One that resists. You will not make me humble myself before you. Uncircumcised of heart. That's a pretty bold accusation to make to the leaders of the Jewish system who used the outward sign of circumcision to prove they were part of the covenant. He said, you may have done that in an outward sign, but the inward movement of your heart is that you are not honoring God. You resist the Holy Spirit just as your fathers did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they kill those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. And you killed the righteous one. You have betrayed and murdered him. The very one received the law delivered by angels. But you didn't keep what God gave you. Wow, what an application. Stephen said, you can't claim to know the Bible if you don't see that J Jesus is the thread that interprets all the Bible. Anytime you read the Bible, it should show you something about God and something about you. And it should make you quickly say, oh, how desperately I need a Savior. If we can talk about the holiness of God and not realize the sinfulness of man, What's going on in here? Don't we see that we desperately need a Savior? Stephen, in incredible proclamation, takes the story of God and all that he'd done and shows that Jesus is the centerpiece of what God was doing and is now doing. And I would say to you again today, if you came into this room and you can leave not recognizing that we're all sinners and we all need a Savior, and Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves, and we make the great exchange. We give him our sin. He gives us his righteousness. Please don't leave today not knowing that. That is the gospel thread that holds together everything about the story of God. But we're talking about your heart. Could you be accused of having a servant spirit? Could you be accused of being filled with the Spirit? Could you be accused of delighting in and wanting to know more of the story of God, hungry for the Word of God? Could you be accused in saying, yeah, it just always leads me back to Jesus? 
because I know I could never do enough to satisfy a holy God. As we see that in Stephen's life, we see that it ended not so well, at least from an earthly point of view. Boy, I really struggled as to what to call this last point. I I wanted to say not everything works well when you follow Jesus. Going to be too many words to put on the screen, so I couldn't figure out what to say. It's not this gospel that says, hey, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be rich, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be famous, everything's going to work out perfectly. And like Job's friends, if you have any problems, it's because you caused them. We'll tell that to Stephen, a man who was full of faith and wisdom, a man who was delighting in the word of God with a servant spirit filled with the spirit of God, talking about Jesus in his every breath. The scripture says that they took him. Once he accused them of being stiff-necked and he told them that their hearts needed to be changed. Look at what it says. Verse 54. They heard these things and they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. I've had some people look at me that looked that mad before when I was preaching. But they gnashed their teeth They were just so upset that he would accuse them of that. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, hey, there it is again. He gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Jesus standing at the right hand of God? I thought Jesus was seated at the right hand of God. If I'm not mistaken, everywhere else we read it in the Bible, that's where he is seated. But here he is standing. And in case you didn't get it, it says it again. Verse 56. And he, Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, accusing him of blasphemy. They rushed to him and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. I have had some people get upset at my preaching, but I've never had anybody gnashing their teeth and dragging me out of the church house. What's that all about? Accusing Stephen of blasphemy, resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to admit that Jesus is Lord. They took him out and they stoned him. You need to catch Stephen's response. His his first response full of faith. He looked into the heavens and he saw Jesus standing. Why was he standing? Well, we can only speculate. He's saying, Father, this, this one's ours. Saying, Stephen, I see what's going on. And you're going to be okay if you'll look through it. Not just at it but through it. And look at what Stephen said. The first thing that he said is he said, I got to find the exact wording here. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 59, do you recognize that? 
Into your hands I commit my spirit, Jesus said when he was dying. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do you recognize that? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Isn't it interesting how the followers of Jesus, if they're truly following Jesus and filled with the spirit of Jesus, they start reflecting Jesus, even in the way they respond to things on earth. So, before Dr. Luke finishes this account, he throws in one little nugget the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Verse 58, we meet the Apostle Paul, who is, at this point, the persecutor Saul. Then it says in chapter 8, verse 1, Saul approved of his execution. So, what is that saying to us? That Stephen may have prematurely, from our point of view, lost his life through pain and suffering that he did not deserve. But God was doing so much more than Stephen could ever imagine. I remember reading and then watching a movie called The Cross and the Switchblade where a guy named David Wilkinson had gone into the slums and he was working with the gangs. And one of the gang members said, you need to get out of here talking that Jesus stuff. And he said, I can't help it. I love you and Jesus loves you. And Nicky Cruz said to Wilkerson, he said, I'm going to cut you into a thousand little pieces. And he said, and when you do, every piece is going to say, I love you and Jesus loves you. In the movie, it was portrayed how Nicky Cruz couldn't sleep at night. He, he would roll over and he would, he would hear, every piece is going to say, I love you and Jesus loves you. Every piece is going to say, I love you and Jesus loves you. What about the apostle Paul? What about the persecutor Saul? Did he remember Stephen, face shining like an angel, saying he saw Jesus at the right hand? Did he remember later when he encountered the Lord Jesus and later when he served the Lord Jesus how Stephen had died with such a sense of peace and a problem that he didn't deserve? That could be you today. You could be in the problem or you could be the persecutor. I don't know where you are. But listen to the word of God like a mirror as we look into it. Later in... Saul's life after he became Paul in 2 Corinthians it's, it's not in here okay this is the book of Acts all right in 2 Corinthians Paul is writing about his persecution and he's talking about all the things that had happened to him Paul now converted we're afflicted in every way not crushed perplexed not driven to despair persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of the Lord Jesus, that in this life Jesus might be manifested in our bodies. For we who are always being given over to the death of Jesus' sake, for the sake of Jesus we've been manifested in this mortal flesh. 
we don't lose heart. Verse 16. Though the outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The light temporary affliction, being beaten, being rejected, himself being persecuted, well, compared to the eternal weight of glory, Paul said it's not even worthy to be compared. Paul's first glimpse of that was in Stephen, who I believe could have said the same thing. What's happening here on earth is not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory to be found in serving and knowing the Lord Jesus. Could you ever be accused of having a servant spirit, of being filled with the spirit, of loving the story of God and delighting in the word of God, seeing Jesus as you work your way through scripture and as you work your way through life and living because eternity matters and all of the earth conflict is interpreted in the eternal weight of glory. As I thought about this, I, I thought about a first missionary from the United States, from America. His name's Adoniram Judson. Judson was sold out to the Lord Jesus, longing to go to South Asia with the gospel. And along the way, he bumped into a girl named Anne. He told Anne of his dreams, told Anne to count the cost, but told Anne he wanted her to go with him as a missionary. So he wrote Anne a letter and said, could we, could we date, in his own language, <laughs> could, could we go steady, uh, could, we, could we get engaged? And Anne didn't respond in any way except, you have to ask my father. So Judson wrote his future father-in-law. And he didn't say, I'm going to have a big house, a bunch of cattle. I'll take good care of your daughter. And I'll promise she'll have the best life earth has to offer. Here's the letter that he wrote. Sir, I have now to ask whether you will consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate, to every kind of want and disease, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home, died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, 
for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior, coming from the heathens who will be saved because of her life? Wow. It's interesting that Stephen's name means crown. Any Steves in the house, your name is crown. Will you be crowned here on earth with things that don't matter? Or will you be crowned with the eternal weight of glory? Lord, thank you that we could look today into your word. Thank you that we could see a man that lived in a way that we can't imagine, received a death that we can't comprehend, but proclaimed clearly for us through his life and through his death that Jesus is worth it. And serving you has eternal consequence. So, Lord, we're not going to pray, make us like Stephen. But we do want to pray, may we have a servant spirit filled with your spirit, loving your word, delighting in the gospel that we desperately need every day, and living not just for this world, but for the eternal weight of glory. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray.